Hey, happy Thanksgiving, Andrew. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Connor. How you doing today? I'm stuffed on turkey and cranberry sauce and stuffing and um, some mashed taters. I'm stuffed with all of that probably as... Uh, I'm also probably stuffed with uh, Legos and uh, Play-Doh because <laughs> of my nephews and everything. Um, but I'm excited to, you know, just to be with them. But all yes. the same, I guess we should say we're, you know, preemptively recording this because I won't be here. Why you got to spoil it? Oh, yeah. Sorry, gang. <laughs> but hey, since it's in the spirit of Thanksgiving and talking about what you're thankful for, I kind of want to reverse that a little bit. And in the spirit of what we're actually talking about today, uh-huh. I wanted to ask you, how did you feel the day they announced that the EU, the extended universe, was no longer canon in Star Wars? So I knew this question was coming. I won't say how I knew this question was coming, but I Fair knew this enough. question was coming. Yeah. And I did a little bit of looking into this, and apparently the official announcement came on April 25th of 2014. Oh, wow. Which would put it like right around the time of finals when I was in grad school. Oh, my God. Sorry. And so like I was all, truly already an emotional disaster at that point. And it's, this just gets piled right on top of it. And it's like, come on. Yes. And, and else you know, it's like all of this, all of these stupid books that I had collected over the years. I, I mean, I genuinely believe I own like somewhere between like 60 and 80 of them. Oh, my goodness. Uh, from the EU. Right. I mean, I've read all of the major storylines and, you know, and this is. I read every word. It's not like I had them on audiobook or anything. No, like no, that. no. You you did your due diligence. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, I I loved it, and I was just like, this is just one more thing to just completely mess with my life right now. I'd have to say that the best like uh, analogy I could put about it is like you learn about one subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this entire, well, let's say entire college semester. Mm-hmm. And then finally, when your professor, you know, you're about to pr- present whatever you are to your professor, they're like, actually, you know what? That doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. You know, and it's like, what I was like, I, I was obsessed with this stuff. Yeah. And now it's just like, it's just, it's just out there. It's like, oh no, it's just legends. Yeah. Or whatever. Well, I think, I think in total, in terms of like the actual like Del Rey slash Bantam books, mm-hmm. like the, you know, quote unquote, unquote adult books yeah. in the EU. Uh, I believe there was something around 120 titles. I will and, believe it. And like I kept a checklist of yes. all the ones that I had read. <laughs> and I think I only had like something around like half a dozen of the uh, like of the little trilogies yeah. still out there. And then there was just like some random one offs that I hadn't picked up along the way. Do you see yourself completing that list any day? I always assumed that I would. Kind of like a bucket list thing at this point. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, and I remember I remember when the original acquisition happened and everybody's like, well, you know, this means that the EU is going to go gone. out the window. Yeah. yeah. And it took almost two years for that to happen, um, which probably gave me just a little bit too much hope. <laughs> that they would stick with the same storyline. Yeah. It would be so hard. I mean, we always said as much like the big... Because... I know for a fact I didn't feel it as nearly as hard as you did because mm-hmm. I was just still getting into it. I mean, I was getting audiobooks here and there, recommendations from you, get the original Thrawn trilogy and all this kind of stuff. And then finally learning about this, it just kind of like, it gut punched you, you know? Mm-hmm. And you would like to see those stories reenacted and everything <laughs> like that. But uh, at the same time, you kind of have to appreciate where Disney's going with the new canon. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would say that it's taken me a long time. Yeah. Long time <laughs> to kind of get up to speed and comfortable with, you know, the new direction that Disney is going in. But I would say of late, especially, 
I think they're starting to figure it out, which is half the battle. And it's pretty, I don't know, I'm starting to get into it more. Well, we can get into it further because Uta Puta, everybody. Hello, and welcome to Greeter Shot First. My name's Connor. I'm Andrew. And we are here to talk Star Wars, all things Star Wars, and anything even freaking related to Star Wars, in which today, hey gang, we're doing a book review. But here's the fun fact. We've done one book review. We've done two books at once. Now, we're doing three. It's a trilogy. A trilogy, son. We're doing our own trilogy. But, I mean, it's not our own trilogy. It just happens to be the first <laughs> new trilogy of novels to come yes. out for the Star Wars canon. Yes. Uh, the trilogy in name is... Uh, the name of the trilogy, in fact, is the Aftermath Trilogy. Yes. Um, I'll read a little synopsis here. The novel is one of 20 projects in the journey to Star Wars The Force Awakens, a 2015 Star Wars publishing initiative to connect The Force Awakens with previous film installments. The Aftermath series features the characters Wedge and Tilly's, an X-Wing fighter pilot from the original Star Wars film trilogy, and Imperial Admiral Ray Sloan, introduced as Captain in John Jackson Miller's 2014 novel, A New Dawn. That's one you and I both really enjoyed. Yes. And uh, I do want to touch on that. Oh, for sure. We'll, we'll do that later. I mean, yeah, I want to. Uh, and then Wendig also introduces several new characters, uh, including ex-rebel pilot Nora Wexley, her, t- her teenage son Temin Snap Wexley, Temin's rebuilt B-1 battle droid Mr. Bones, the Zabrak bounty hunter Jazz Amari, and the Imperial turncoat Sinjir Rath Velas, one of the first gay characters in Star Wars canon. <laughs> Now that thanks for working that one in. Oh come on! No, it's 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 part, it's part of, the, of the description. It's part of the description, but it's also going to come up. Like I I want I want to talk about like the progressiveness of these stories and right. like other new novels and everything like that. Yeah. Like not in like a demeaning way by any stretch of the imagination. No, like I think not. they do it very tastefully. Yeah. So, um, but like it's you know it it's just something to bring up. Yeah, there, um, there's something there's something interesting there. I mean, not to like jump all the way ahead, but <laughs> uh, like this is something that like Chuck Wendig kind of like got in trouble for. Like he basically the first aftermath book, like spoiler alert, I guess I didn't like. Yeah, and I'm not alone in that. A lot of people didn't like it because it just it didn't have the same flair. I imagine. Yeah. But I feel like either like a change in like whoever edited it or whatever, like the second two books are awesome. I oh, love yeah. them. I mean, I think they're very good. I mean, I think that what you have to take into account for that is that the first Aftermath book was just called Aftermath. And like it only focused on these core characters on this one planet. And, you know, it was supposed to be the journey to The Force Awakens. So more than anything else, people were just going to be like, well, how is this going to relate to, you know, what's going on in the new movie? Like, what's the big deal? And, I mean, there are small hints here and there for the most part. But, like, I still I see what people were upset about, you know. Yeah. But I agree with you. I think the second and third one got that much stronger. Mm-hmm. And name-wise, we should go over this just real quick. Um, the first book, like I said, is uh, it's like the full title of it is Star Wars Aftermath Journey to the Force Awakens. Right. The se- uh, and that came out uh, September 4th, 2015. So about a year, almost like a year and a half after the acquisition itself of the new canon and everything. Like right. That. Well, the announcement of it. Anyway. The announcement, sorry. Um, then uh, book two is uh, Aftermath Life Debt. Mm-hmm. Which I don't. I mean, like we could talk about ranking in between there, uh, and then the final one in the series is Aftermath: Empires End. That's right. So they're very kind of ominous titles, but they the titles themselves work for what the story brings out. And I think the way that we're going to try and do this today is we're going to kind of talk about different points from different books. 
uh, rather than focusing on one story for the entire, I don't know, the entire episode, kind of just go over, you know, talking points from each episode and uh, maybe just different characters and different situations and stuff like that. And this book also does something else that, or these book series also does something that no other books have ever done, interludes. Yes. Uh, the interludes... I mean, I don't know how to best describe it. It's just they fill in the blanks of what's going on. Yeah, they just kind of tell little snapshots, little vignettes from other parts of the galaxy that aren't tied to this story Mm -hmm. or whatever the case may be. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, many of them are pretty interesting or very, like, at least very fan service-y, if nothing else. For sure. Uh, Uh, and, And others you know, maybe fall a little flat or don't resonate quite as much. It's just, it doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. Um, But I guess before we kind of get into that, one thing I noticed today uh, that I hadn't really known previously is, you know, so obviously we're talking about like, it was 2014 when they announced like, okay, all these books are now legends. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't until like September, 2015 when this story came out and this is, I mean, it's not the first new Canon book. No. I believe the first one chronologically is actually Tarkin. Maybe, which is fascinating. And it's like, there's a whole side story that we could tell about Tarkin. Oh yeah. Because it actually validates a lot of like Darth Plagueis, for instance, because you know, it's like the book that James Lucino wrote right after he yeah, wrote Plagueis. Yeah. And it has the same kind of writing style too, for what it's worth. I mean, well, it, <laughs> I remember seeing that and then thinking like Thrawn was going to be of the same vein, like the new Thrawn, mm-hmm. more or less just based off of the cover because like mm-hmm. the covers were kind of yeah. like similar. Yeah. It was, it was like way before I even noticed like the authors. Well, they do have like, like I will say one thing that Disney's doing currently is it's like everything kind of looks very similar. Yeah. Like there's like two styles, like the new Resistance Reborn novel like almost has the same cover as like alphabet squadron for instance it's true no i i believe that um and like uh, i need to get into that i know you said you got that i've so. read it or i've listened you, to it all already you're, you're probably just boiling at this point i really would like to talk about it but we'll get there someday um, all right well, but anyway yeah. just to kind of fill in a little bit more of the blanks uh you know so you have tarkin which was actually the first one released but this is the first story that takes place after the events of return of the jedi yes uh, in the new Disney canon. It and was our first snapshot at the galaxy since the fall of the Empire. That's, yeah. So, I mean, I, we've talked about it before, uh, you know, with the, the original Thrawn trilogy. Like, that, a lot of people hold that up as, like, that's going to be, you know, if they were to do movies, that would have been the next logical step, right? Mm-hmm. And that was set, like, about five years after Return of the Jedi. Yes. This is set only months after Return of the Jedi. Right. Uh, you know, between three and six months, I think, is what the actual, like, call-out is. But... So the first novel, um, at the time, I really enjoyed it. But out of the three, I know that I kind of agree with you. It's kind of the weakest entry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't like I said. I don't kind of know. I don't really don't know which way we want to go with this. Do you want to start talking characters? Do you want to bring up any kind of interesting points story wise that really jump out at you? Um, <laughs> it's 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 a mixed bag. There's a yeah. lot to there's a lot to cover. Well, I guess I'm gonna get these like. The the thing that just ruined it for me off the start is like you know the very first chapter mm-hmm. if you will, and like this is might sound controversial when I say this next bit, but it actually starts with Wedge Antilles. Well, the first main chapter, yeah, not like the prologue chapter. Which now the prologue was pretty cool. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah but the first story chapter is with Wedge, like yeah. one of my favorite characers. Woo, hero one of the, the every, yeah everybody's favorite characters. <laughs> um. 
But the thing that derailed it immediately for me was like, he's just flying this ship. That's like just called a star hopper. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not star Wars naming convention. Like that's not how they name their ships. No. And if anything, it could be a euphemism in the Star Wars lore. Yeah, you know, or yeah, like, exactly. You know, it's like, oh, it's just it's just your run of the mill star hopper. Yeah, it could whatever. be like a nickname for something, or you know, yeah. the model name of something. But they every could, ship is called you know YT thirteen hundred T sixty five B. Yeah, they uh, could have just a YLT four NA T sixty five. All this stuff. All right, I was gonna say they could easily just say like a freighter. Uh-huh. Or something like that, or even just call it what kind of ship it is. Yes, you know. But you're right; it does kind of take you out of it. Yeah. Um. But to that same point, I like the fact that they kind like they kind of call themselves out a little bit, uh, especially like because this is also the introduction of Ray Sloan's character in the novel as well. Um. And the point, and the, and the point is that like. Uh, Wedge comes into contact with like a, a star destroyer, and he's like, "I gotta get out of here." And then they track him with the tractor beam. And at one point, he decides to himself, "All right, I'm gonna pull this maneuver." That's very similar from the Thrawn trilogy. It's a maneuver that Luke uses to break the hold that the uh, tractor beam would have on him. Mm. And Ray Sloan is like, "Oh, let me guess, you're gonna try and do this? Well, it, it's you know, it's probably a good idea if you do that. But I just let me know, like, let just letting you know." We could shoot you just as fast. So uh-huh. where is that really going to leave us? Right. So like we're just like this is new. Like I don't know. It was kind of a weird, subtle way to put it. Like this is what's happening now. Yeah. But I mean, going back into that, like seeing Wedge post Jedi is always interesting, mm-hmm. and just seeing Wedge's story in general. And I was actually really excited to think that like he was going to play a major part in the story. Well, and that was another part of it is just like I'm like, all right, like I'm in on Wedge. <laughs> and then he literally disappears from this novel for probably like for at least like the next half of the book. Yeah. Before sh- we even find out that he survived. And well that yeah. So <laughs> I think I told you this when I read the original Thrawn trilogy. I was like, I don't know what's gonna happen to these guys. Like it's out of the realm now. Like people could die, people could perish. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how I felt about Wedge. I'm like, I don't want anything to go wrong. Yeah. You know, I I I don't want to see him meet an untimely end or anything like that or just kind of just fall into anyone else's you know grasp or whatever i don't know uh-huh. but um from there it kind of just picks up and you know you get your run-of-the-mill adventure on this planet called akiva right uh and it's 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 actually really interesting to see what the whole point is uh that like why the emperor like why the empire is meeting there mm-hmm. it's like only three ships that meet there but it's supposed to be like a, a like a council meeting mm-hmm. and it's like we have to decide what to do now with the you know the congregation of ships that we have left right and i mean that's an interesting point in itself yeah you know because you that that with the force awakens coming out like one of the questions you have to ask yourself is where did the force first order come from Mm -hmm. and i think that's what they try to start off from the beginning it's like where does it go yeah yeah i mean we actually you know truly over the course of these three novels we actually get a, a pretty good image where it's going. where it actually yeah where it stems from and how the empire does lead to yeah. the first order that there is quite literally a through line between the two yes and uh, i mean it works out um you know like it, if you kind of want to put some perspective on it i think the way you can lay it out is uh, the books kind of follow the same logic as some of the movies where it's like the first one's kind of ridiculous you know, but it's fun. Yeah. You know, and then the second one, it gets a little more serious and down to earth. 
and then the third one is the culmination right uh you know the 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 ending note i don't know yeah, it t- tells the wrap-up story of it all and i think even like the scale of it all kind of it, mirrors like at least the original trilogy anyway <laughs> um you know you kind of have this very isolated story in the first book where it's just you know it's a set it's a fairly small group of characters and you can kind of follow all of them and you understand all of them. Then in the second one, we see that this is part of a bigger universe. Yes. We get to spend more time on different planets. I mean, I think one of the critiques that I've heard you make is that each story is almost based on like one One planet. planet. Like it's solely around one planet. Yeah. 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 Whereas, I mean, yeah, like you said, it does jump, but the main focus of the main story does revolve around it so Mm -hmm. um i mean i can say which planets they are for each book it doesn't matter yeah well yeah i mean so real briefly it's like the first book is akiva which which, is a new planet that was introduced precisely and then the second one is actually kazook kazook or uh as it i guess it's actually pronounced by other real people yes kashik that just sounds wrong it sounds wrong (laughs) i don't know what you're talking about and then the final story is set on jakku what that's right i did what <laughs> no no but yeah that, that just makes sense because like i said they have to kind of feed into the force awakens it's like well that's it yeah. you know no yeah. tattooing anymore it's just it's got to be on jakku now i mean truly at this point this was like this is this is it for being a bridge between like return of the jedi and, and the force awakens and the force awakens it really is just the long tall tale of how they got to the battle of jakku right you know but it's just all the fun that they had along the way <laughs> yes <laughs> Speaking, I mean, speaking of they, do we want to do we want to get into the like cast of characters a little bit more? Yeah. So, point? like, I mean, the way I kind of wrote it down in the notes here is I have I have like it's either your favorite new character, uh, strongest, the weakest character, and as well as the un, like underserved like story arc. Now, I, and like the way I kind of put it out there is like um, I feel like there's there's certain characters in this little core group that just they they come from nothing and they shoot to like being your favorite. Mm -hmm. And then there's ones who just kind of don't move or they move in a different direction. So with that being said, uh, do you have a favorite character uh, out of the whole crew? So my favorite character of the whole crew is Mr. Bones. Mr. Bones is a really good choice. (laughs) And I mean, just give a little dissertation. What makes Mr. Bones great? So Mr. Bones is awesome because he is a B1 battle droid Mm -hmm. that was owned by, Temin Snap Wexley. And and we've <laughs> talked about this on the show before, but like Snap is actually Greg Grumberg's character in The Force Awakens. In The Force Awakens and it, he's going to be in Rise of Skywalker. It as all well. connects now. Yeah. And, and he was in the he was in the books too. Yeah, he's in the, the uh, yeah, the he's in comic. like the Poe Dameron comics and uh, uh like he he's like Black 2. Like yeah. He's he's his right-hand man. Yeah. Which I I appreciate his big old beard. Yes. But they describe him in the first book with like a head tail, like like he's got like a huge ponytail or something. And yeah. it's like I can't see that. Uh, yeah, character. I can't follow like <laughs> and like I can't visualize like the snap from the books becoming Greg Grumberg. Right. Like <laughs> I remember like when I found that out, I was like, There's no way that's the same character. Yeah. Like, is that his son? Like, yeah. you know, is, it, it just doesn't make any <laughs> Did sense. We skip a generation here. But anyway, um, he is a like so. Mr. Bones is a reprogrammed B one battle droid that, mm-hmm. that Snap has like he's cobbled together all these pieces because he works as like a junk dealer. Yes, uh, because like his mother Nora has let like left to fight in the rebellion and he was basically left to his own devices. Mm-hmm. Um, and his well, his father was also in the rebellion and he was captured. Yes, uh, and so that's that was one of the reasons that Nora, his mom, left was mm-hmm. to. To try to rescue Ryan, rescue him, and then just help the rebellion in general, right? Um, um, but 
But, but so Mr. Bones is just has this ridiculous personality. Like it's it's very like to to go into the legends of it all. It's very like HK forty seven, where he's just like obsessed with murder. Yeah. Well, so I had heard that apparently uh, Chuck Windig had pushed for uh, the um, oh what the hell the like the, to have. Um, HK forty seven B Mr. Bones. Oh. <laughs> like it was a that was his original intent to bring that back, uh-huh. but they just wouldn't clear it. Which okay. that sucks. But like yeah. you can I, I think there's actually a point where he says a line from HK forty seven, I think in the third book. Yeah. And at one point like Nora's like, Are you okay? And he's like, Sorry, glitch. You well, know? <laughs> yeah, well there's this uh I mean in and to that end, there's also like some of like Grievous's programming. Yes. Oh, I was hoping you'd bring that up. Yeah. Uh, it's like there's points where like he thinks to himself, or even Temin says as much, is like his personality matrix is made up of several different uh-huh. robots, one consisting of an old four armed like Clone Wars general yes and some dancers yes so <laughs> imagine a dancing general grievous yeah like that's just <laughs> terrifying <laughs> and, yeah and like but in the the uh and mr bones has also just been like stylized especially like in the second and third books to kind of not look like an original b1 and like that are kind of like I, I, they don't skeletal. look that intimidating. Yeah, they're yeah. just like they're just like a Harry Housen like walking skeleton kind of thing. Basically. But he's actually made to look kind of horrifying and like grotesque in his own way. So his beak, like his uh, the beak of his head, is actually sharpened. Yeah, kind of like it kind of looks like a, you know the beak of a claw bird. I think yeah. is what they recommend. and like his rib cage is like sharpened and pointed as well. And he also was original design. He had little animal bones that dangled and everything yes, like that. That's the name. Yes, and then. <laughs> And uh, one of his arms has a hidden blade, a hidden vibra blade. Yes. Which that's always cool. Like, you know, he's just an assassin. Yeah. I mean, some of the plausibility of the character are totally unreal, (laughs) especially that like this boy is able to is able to program him this way. Yeah. It's just, well, I mean, the fact of the matter is he was able to find a piece of like General Grievous's memory core or something. Yeah. (laughs) That's the most insane. Right. Um, But the way he's able to find it, it's explained in the book that Akiva was home to a droid factory during the Clone Wars. Right. And so thus he was able to go down there and scrap a bit there. Yes. Thus, he was created. And that's where Mr. Bones comes from. My favorite character, and mm-hmm. I think we I've said as much before. I know what you're gonna say. Sinjir Rathvilas. Yes. I uh, I like the first time they introduced Sinjir, it's just him describing the liqueurs of the galaxy. Yes. Uh, he's talking about how much the, you know, like this, you know, the this Kowakian uh, rum has like a good spice to it, or you know, he needs a uh, a jorum of ski or something like that. Like it's just all these weird sounding you know uh, concoctions mm-hmm. but he's just a drunkard yes. he's an ex-imperial loyalty officer mm-hmm. which is already like that's that's an interesting like uh topic to go into is the loyalty officers the lo- yeah. themselves but his story starts off apparently he was a, he was stationed on the moon of endor right during the battle of endor yeah uh something happened to his troop i guess involving ewoks that like they basically just eviscerated everyone around him so uh-huh. he's covered in blood and stuff like this he trades clothes with a dead rebel uh-huh. and is dressed himself as a rebel or whatever and then he just and then just deserts and just leaves. goes off and yeah. he finds his planet and he just starts drinking mm-hmm. which i mean it, if you see the stuff you saw with those ewoks i would i would imagine I that 
can understand it's it. It's the stuff of nightmares. It is. <laughs> Try to play uh, Ewok, Ewok Hunt. Hunt. Oh my god! On Battlefront Two for late at night, all the lights <sighs> turned off. It's so terrifying when you hear that horn going off. You won't sleep for a week. <laughs> so yeah, and then um, through you know through different ways or whatever, he finds his way to the crew itself. Uh-huh. Um, one of the other characters he's apparently ran into on the moon of Endor, which I wish that was one of the things they would have went into, was the fact of like what both of them were doing there or how right. they made it off. Yeah. So he, like I'm even more interested in the, the other character's involvement on Endor. Right. So the other character we're talking about, like I'll get back to Sinjir, but it's Jazz. Yes. Jazz Amari. Right. There's a Brack bounty hunter. Yes. As a Brack, if you don't know it, it's the same species as Darth Maul, so they right. got the horns. Head horns. Uh, yeah, the head horns. She's and she's a lady. And she's a lady, so they're, I don't know if they're dainty or anything like that. It's yeah. like, but she has a little bit of hair versus yes. what males would not have hair. Right. So I think it sounds cool. And apparently her aunt was actually in the Clone Wars TV show. Aunt Sugi, mm-hmm. which I never realized that until like, yeah, you know, doing research for this. Well, and that that actually does sound right. Like, I believe she appears like with Embo on yeah. the Clone Wars, and Embo actually makes an appearance in the third in, book. Yeah, in the final novel, Embo is a be- like is a is a badass. Yes, I, I, I- <laughs> he's the one that. He's the one that looks like a samurai, yes. like with like the wa- like long the wide, wide brim hat. hat. Yeah, and he has a pup. It's yeah. like a, a skag dog or whatever. Yeah. Um, God, that, he's such a cool character. And that's another thing to get back at is just talking about the the bounty hunter situation, like the, the guild situation that they have. Yeah. But, all right, so to get back to Jazz, um, <clears throat> at one point they crossed paths on Endor, and then they crossed paths again on Akiva. But the whole idea, like we said, with them being on Endor, it's just kind of weird. So, obviously, Sinjir was working on Endor, but uh, Jazz was quote-unquote working on Endor because she had a target there. Yes. Who was that target? It's an excellent question. Well, I mean, we kind of know who that target is. <laughs> I, but I don't know if I should say it. It's not really a spoiler or anything. Well, you can say it. All right. So apparently she was there to assassinate Leia. Yes. Which it, she, she was like, at one point, she was about to get her. Like when she got shot in the arm and Han was covering her, she was about to take him out. And then all of a sudden she was like, you know what? No. Because it looks like the tide's turning and the Imperials aren't going to be around much longer. So she just gets the heck out of there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that kind of speaks to her character. But it's yeah. like her character is just focused on money. Yeah. For the most and, that's, part. and that's like a summary of like jazz as a character. And like this holds true with her Aunt Sugi as well. Mm-hmm. Where it's like she like she's a bounty hunter and she's fairly cutthroat. And she's, you know, obviously a skilled assassin, but yeah. she's also has this conscience that is not consistent with most bounty hunters. No. And, and as such, she sometimes struggles to either do the job or do the right thing. Yeah. Which uh, I think she grows a lot. Right. Uh, through the through the three stories. Because yeah. um, she could just as easily be a one dimensional character of I'm only doing this for money, mm-hmm. you know. But I mean, between her and Sinjir, I really like their dynamic. Um, they, 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 they would be the perfect couple if Sinjir was (laughs) not, well, he's not into this as he puts in the book. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, well, you don't have to be rude about it. It's like women, I'm not into women or whatever. And that's when you find out. Yes. That Sinjir is in fact gay. And it's adorable. Yes. You know, and And he has an adorable boyfriend (laughs) that we meet in the second and third novels. Yeah. So in the second and third novels, when he's finally... Uh, you know, quote unquote, part of the rebellion or part of the new republic, mm-hmm. uh, he becomes 
acquainted with a slicer by the name of Condor Kyle. Yes. Don't think about that. It's not my name, gang. But still, <laughs> I'm not putting myself in his shoes. Let's just put it that way. Uh, but like, it's just like they do a great job of describing it, and it's it's just the weirdest like give and take like relationship between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And Condor at one point is like trying to talk to Sinjir about like why are you so afraid of being so open and like just talking about like we're on Chandrilla, which is like the new Republic's like home world at this point. At this point, yes. and they were like. You know, it's Chandrilla. Like, it's pretty open. Yeah. Like, they don't, you know, they don't mind. This like, it's, it doesn't. This is a, it's an open and free society. Exactly. And so I think the thing is, it's like, Sinjir was still trying to wrap himself around the idea of, like, being uh, just doctor to, um, to, to the, like, the Imperial way. And just trying not to show any kind of emotion or anything like that. And he's just too afraid of it. Because mm-hmm. he himself was a loyalty officer. And he knew how to, how not to break loyalty and everything like that. Right. And I think that it's actually worth... <laughs> like, I think it is kind of worth talking about, like, the loyalty officer construct. So, I mean, how, how would you like to go into it? Because there's a lot we can cover on it. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess I would just say, like, basically, Sinjir's job was to look for the inconsistencies, the abnormalities in... Imperials, like both just, you know, from everybody from your lowly stormtrooper, foot soldier to admirals, admirals, generals, high ranking officials, bureaucrats. (laughs) What was the way that the the, uh, his teacher, like the person who trained him? I think she put him was basically just saying, it's like, you don't like the the Empire. It's like, good, you shouldn't. Right. That's the point. That's why you're here. Exactly. I mean, like, he's basically an Imperial that hunted Imperials for a living. Right. I and mean, that's actually, a, like, a phrase that he uses uh, in, so, in the stories. Like, I'm an Imperial hunting Imperial, except now I'm doing it for the New Republic. Right. <laughs> and that's just interesting to think yeah. about, like, you're brought into the fold of this major, like, military organization, and then all of a sudden they're like, you have to eat every single one of these yes. people and like machines and all this kind of stuff. Like you cannot trust a single thing. You can only trust yourself uh-huh. and your gut and like the loyalty to the empire. Yeah. And they have such like such rank that it's, they get in anywhere. Right. Exactly. Which I mean, is they, they, they exploit that. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's something that he exploits multiple times, uh, to varying degrees of effectiveness, but that's <laughs> neither here nor there. Uh, I know, but I just, I mean, I do like the fact that, like, when he first reveals himself as a loyalty officer to the Imperials, and they were just like, oh, they straighten themselves up, like, shine their shoes, oh, sorry, sir, you know, it's right this way, sir, and yeah. you could tell the fear in their eyes. That's, yes. That's what I love about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and he's, like, he's an expert in torture. Yeah, <laughs> which is, I mean, that's insane, too. Like, so the way that he had to do that was he had to be tortured himself. Like, they actually put him through through a lot of like pain and misery until mm-hmm. finally he's like okay until now he, he figured out how to extract that from others exactly etc and then he has to do it to everybody else and all that kind of stuff so yeah. i mean i'm trying to think of what else to kind of say about it i mean I, I can talk all day about sinjir and his great relationship and like the evolving love story and all that but so well, i just think it's an interesting th- through line and, and this is actually what i was kind of going to bring up earlier is that like I feel like Wendig did this weird thing where, like, people didn't really like the first book for various reasons. Mm -hmm. And, like, he just blamed it on, well, that's because I introduced this gay character. And then I feel like he doubled down on it. Oh. Uh, You know. But it's like, trust me, that is 0% of, like, the issue with the original Aftermath book. It's just, like, it's basically starting from scratch to try to build this literally brand new world. Right. 
I mean, uh, he, with nothing else in it. He was trying to do what Timothy Zahn was able to do. Right. Because there was multiple books before the Thrawn trilogy and everything like that. I'm going to keep bringing it up. I'm sorry. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is that like he really established what the galaxy was after Return of the Jedi. And Wendig has to do the same exact thing. Uh-huh. You know? And you already said it yourself, like, they had Tarkin. But Tarkin was set before the events of A New Hope. Exactly. So they had some stuff to work with. Yeah. This is a big deal. This is, I mean, this is how J.J. Abrams felt when he was making The Force Awakens. Uh-huh. He had to create out of nothing. Yeah. And try and make it consistent of what already happened. Um, so, I mean, you kind of you have to give him credit for that. Like, it's already, like, an immeasurable task to do what he has to do. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's not the greatest first outing, but the way he's able to finish it off, like, it's it's redeeming. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's it's just, like, it's quite literally this story on, like, on an island. And, I mean, what just bothered me about that is that there was this tightness and cohesiveness in the expanded universe. You know, yeah. you had your like Leland Chi, the literally his like job title at Lucasfilm was oh. uh keeper of the holocron. <laughs> okay. And like, he was just like the continuity expert. Like his whole job was like, okay, I need to catalog every, you know, continuity thing so that we can avoid errors as much as possible. And, you know, and so like we had this perfect consistency of like, oh yeah, they went from the T 65 X wing to the T 70, but it, like, and by the time the expanded universe ended they were on like the t95 or something yeah it was just evolving yeah and like (laughs) and it was like every you know every 10 books you read it was like the next model of x-wing you know and it was perfectly consistent and like the thing that i think wendig suffered from was that he just didn't have that same opportunity and presented to him but as he started to build his universe and as he was eventually able to add new character well existing characters from other medium into that Mm -hmm. i think the story's got a lot better well i think so too uh before we go a little bit further uh we already talked favorite characters uh Uh, how about least favorite characters (laughs) we just we just have to pick one i know there could be a couple there that are just kind of like meh like off to the side but let's just talk about the main crew which one didn't really work for you i would say the one that worked for me the least and i think we'll you know, he'll probably come up again. Is John Burrell? He was actually going to be my pick. So yeah, John Burrell is. Wait, besides being my least favorite, he's also un like he's underserved. the most underserved. Yeah. yeah. So we like, we were talking about this before we got the mics going. Basically, the fact that like we brought up all these characters at the beginning. But we didn't bring up this character, John Burrell, right? Because he doesn't show up in the in the first. He was book. he was an afterthought <laughs> he in was the after- aftermath book. <laughs> he doesn't show up until maybe like the top of the third act in the actual book, mm-hmm. and like he was part of this commando crew that was going to try and like basically halo jump to uh, Akiva, yes, because they were under blockade and everything like that, and like he was one of the only survivors, so he has his own little cool story there, where he's like, alright, I'm just gonna take this turret and, you know, take it for the rebellion, all, you know, single-handed because he literally just broke his arm, like he right. couldn't use his arm, so he was just, he was a badass, and he had mutton chops, so I respect that, <laughs> but like then, like, at the end of the book, they're like, okay you know, here's the crew of Imperial hunters and catchers or whatever, it's it's Nora, it's Temin, it's Jazz, it's Mr. Bones, it's Sinjir, and then John Burrell? Yeah. <laughs> like, why is he here? Because you spend the entire book seeing these like other five characters kind of grow into their own little family, mm-hmm. and then you just kind of throw an action star in there, and it's like, yeah. it doesn't really work. Yeah, I mean, it's literally like trying to drop 
Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone <laughs> yeah, yeah. into the, into the story <laughs> in the final act and just being like, accept this. Basically. And I mean, it goes, it goes forward into the second and third one. Well, yeah. especially the second one, they try and fit John in there even more, right? which he kind of works more in the second one, but it's like, he's literally just there to kind of be a punching bag. Yeah. You know? And then I feel like they forget about him for most of Empire's End That's as well. True. Until like, the third act yeah. again. Yeah. And it's like, come on. They, and I think the way they might have even been trying to go about it is like, we need the best. And it's it's one of those scenes where Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone's out there chopping wood and he's like, I'm done with that life. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it just it just didn't work. No, I agree. Like he could have been great, but like they just they didn't really focus on. Him. They basically just made him kind of a meathead. Yeah. You know. Exactly. And I think, you know, in, on a certain level, I think that's exactly what <clears throat> they were going for that yeah. they just, you know, they kind of need this, you know, maybe they do need uh some somebody that's a more natural fighter, you know, for this story. Yeah. Uh, you know, cuz you have Nora who's like excellent pilot. pilot yeah but she's not like a hand-to-hand fighter or anything like that Timmons uh, kind of like the tech guy yeah and he's a kid <laughs> uh, you know mr bones arguably would check that box but yeah there's also you know i feel like they wanted to use mr bones in a different capacity as well yeah um you know and then you have jazz who's like you know the the expert marksman etc etc ruthless bounty hunter she right. does what she's doing yeah she uh, now she is a cool character, but like she almost gets a little too underserved. Yeah, but I do like the fact that her story kind of resolves itself. Um, well, I think yeah. I mean, I think like personally, like her and uh, Sinjir are like get the best story development and the best character development. So you would say that would be like the best arc. Yeah, out of the three. Because I agree with that. I because they both, like I said, they both found each other on Endor. Like they just kind of gave each other nods, but they never really said hi or anything. Uh-huh. And then just through some random way in the galaxy, maybe through the Force, the Force yeah. brought them together. Uh, you know, the Jazz and Sinjir find themselves again on Akiva and somehow meet up with Nora and Temin, and from the rest, it's history. And that's exactly it. Like Sinjir is so loyal to. Uh, jazz and it's 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 kind of sad a little bit like yeah when like whenever like jazz is in danger like he's like i don't care what it takes like i'm gonna get her back like yeah. that's how dedicated yeah Sinjir and like is. he's he's more committed to saving jazz than like jom is and like jom you know does become her like quote-unquote lover yeah boy toy <laughs> at the least yeah exactly booty uh, call yeah but it's just like, I don't know, like, you almost want them to be a couple in the way that they are. But right. it, it kind of works like a good best friend story. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's what makes it so beautiful, I think. It's yeah. like, it's... You I mean, kinda, they definitely feel... have love for each other, yes. but it's just not like, you know, sexual attraction or whatever. No. And then there's even a point where Sinjir's like, there are over 435 pressure points on the body. I can will expose, I will like exploit every single one of those. If you hurt jazz's feelings, he uh-huh. says that to John. Yeah. He's like, okay, <laughs> whatever. It's just, and then all of a sudden John's like, I, you know, funny enough, I thought you had an eye for me. And he's like, nah, I got somebody in mind. He's like, really good for you. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. So that, and that's when Condor comes in. Right. Um, but yeah, so, I don't know. I just kind of, it just, it just didn't sit right. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I wanted, I wanted more out of the job side of it. I wanted maybe to see, you know, things go a different path with jazz and job, but I don't know. Right. And there's, I mean, there's, uh, 
well, not to like jump off of that, but like to kind of go back to like Nora, who really this is kind of like her story. Yeah, ultimately. she more often than not we didn't even talk about her yet, but yeah. she's like the main protagonist, really. right? Um, you know, but like I just feel like her dynamic with Snap is like it borders on just the unhealthy, and like I under- <laughs> like I understand like the strain of like her just disappearing basically from yeah. his life when he needed her most. Yeah, and- well, he was just, he was like a, he was just hitting puberty, right? Whenever like his dad literally got drug out in the rain, uh-huh. you know, and he was just like take another step, I'll shoot you, basically. And, like, mm-hmm. he tells the Imperial, I'll kill you, yeah. you know? And he's like, it's it's emotional for anybody. Right. But, you know, so he he basically gets put up with his aunts, mm-hmm. uh, which is something else we should do. Yes. It's another gay couple. Yes. And, they, I mean, they don't even, like, sugarcoat it or anything like that. They don't put anything too, like, you know, exp- uh, expletive yeah, about it. It's well, just, it, like it, like I mean, I appreciate like the normalize normalization of it. Exactly. Yeah. It could, it, for all we knew, it could have just been sisters, right? You know, but they're like, you know, it's her and her wife are staying together, mm-hmm. and it's like, no, oh, all right, yeah. You know, that, see, that's the thing. Like, I, I really like out of this new canon the fact that they're becoming a lot more progressive about it. Yes. And I've always just been of the mind. Yeah, you like, SJW. <laughs> I've always just been out of the mind of just like, look, man, it's a big galaxy. It like, is. I always make jokes about Luke and Leia. I'm like, dude, yeah. you know, from, from all you kisser. know, yeah, from all you know, it's you know, it, it's the outer rim, bro. Anything goes out there. Yeah, but just, I, I'm just saying, it's like, who's to say that kind of stuff doesn't happen? You know? Right. No, absolutely. And it's funny because like because it is totally a trend that like they have done that in every Del Rey novel that's come out right. since is that there is some kind of Yeah, some sort of like same sex or like her like her like there there is literally a hermaphrodite character in this story as well. Which I I do like that character. We yeah. should talk about it. Yeah. So we'll save that for a second, but um, you know, or or you know, just kind of something very you know, some type of very different level of attraction it's just it's weird yeah it's weird but and like once you get over that it's like yeah this is cool and i appreciate that they're being honest and open this way and you know what it 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 goes towards a lot more of it being more involved with other other people who read the books Uh like i've said this before you know we said as much like almost every new canon book has this um last shot the han solo uh book Uh um one of the characters in it is a um I guess it's non-binary. I'm not exactly sure what the terminology is, uh-huh. but it's not a he or a she. It's a they. Uh-huh. You know, it's a yeah. they, or they have done this, and their name is that, or something yeah. like that. Like, so you never know if it's a boy or a girl. Like in the book, that's kind of depicted as a boy, but it's never really just flat out said as much. Yeah. And the other part about this too is like some of the main characters from the original trilogy that show up in these books, not phased by it whatsoever. No, they're just. They're just Live like whatever. Life. Yeah. It's Chan Driller, man. Anything goes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. But all right, so let's kinda finish out with this before we go any further. Um I think because we did that already. Um basically what did I have? It was uh the- Well so true I mean if we want to segue into like kind of the last question that I think we really haven't addressed yet is like our favorite, least favorite interludes. Right. So that was the first thing I, one of the first things I brought up was the fact that like all three of these books have interludes in between certain chapters. So it'll be like two chapters and then it'll be like interlude, uh, Tatooine. And then it'll, you know, two chapters interlude. It's Coruscant. Like it goes to certain places in the galaxy and it tells little stories here and there. Some of the interludes actually carry over all three books. Which 
those ones I do appreciate. Yeah, I like the ones that we that are like basically their own mini story within the, the it, trilogy of novels. It's contained, but it's yeah. like you kind of you kind of feel good about seeing where everything yeah. goes. And especially like I remember when these books were coming out, like I was very excited for the second and third one after the first one because I was like, I'm already excited just for the fact that it's a trilogy, mm. and I really like these characters. I might not have liked the story, but yeah. I wanted to see where they went. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the best ones. So, what? Uh, without any kind of hesitation, do you have a least favorite? We'll go in reverse order here. <laughs> do you have a least favorite interlude? Well, now you've thrown me for a loop. Oh. Um, I would say my least favorite is... Hmm. I'm going to say it is Masamita and the Ankle Biter Brigade. Really? Yes. Well, you know what? That is kind of out of nowhere. Yes. The Ankle Biter Brigade is interesting, too, because you just never really thought about uh-huh. children soldiers yeah you know on coruscant but it's kind of a cool aesthetic uh-huh. but the fact of the matter is that the angle biter brigade are responsible essentially for getting the ceasefire signed yes <laughs> yeah i mean so i guess in that regard it's it is important but it's like stellar yeah but there is but there's just kind of like this underlying current of just like how unimportant Masamita is right and like I almost don't, like I think my biggest issue might just be that like he would still be alive and like acting in any capacity on the empire's behalf. Oh, for sure. Like he just feels like somebody that should have just been slaughtered along the way by Palpatine or Vader or somebody. He should have been part of Operation Cinder. Exactly. But I think yeah, he was just sitting back on, you know, Coruscant and then the Death Star blew up and he's like well, I guess I'm in charge now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and like it, yeah, and I think that's a fascinating perspective. I mean, like we kind of talked about the rough, you know, reason why, like you know, Sloane and these and Grand Moff Pandian and and oh. some of the other people are meeting on Akiva in the first place. It's just like everybody's trying to figure out how to deal with this power vacuum. Yeah, and, and they're <laughs> just trying to consolidate yeah. everything. And like he's just like he's just like pathetically like, oh, I'm in Coruscant, so that means I'm in charge. <laughs> And there, I mean, so there's an interlude before that in the in the middle book, because uh, that one comes in the Empire's End. And so in Life Debt, there's a Masamita interlude where he meets with uh, Mon Mothma and Leia right. to promote, like, he wants to surrender himself, and he wants to surrender the Empire. And both women just say, nah. You're not important enough. Yeah, you're like, not important enough. Like we got you're all... not in, You are not in charge here. <laughs> and so that right there is just kind of them being like, you thought you had all this for years? Forget about it, man. Like, it's, you're not that important. Like, you, you don't matter. Yeah. And so you can go home because you just don't matter. And it's like, it kind of just gets to them. Mm-hmm. Now, I agree that it's not the most important one, but it does kind of make you feel bad for Masamita. Kind of. Like, he kind of. All right, I don't feel bad for Masamita. You give me a stare. <laughs> I'm just not, I'm not sold. My least favorite one. Oh, man. And this is kind of hard because they were all over the place. I think my least favorite one would be, I don't know, because there's also so many good ones, too. It's like just uh, just too many good ones to choose from. I don't know. <laughs> uh, let's go with uh, maybe some of the ones from the first book, because they were more uh, serialized in the first book. Yeah. And it was basically just like it was between Tracy and Kane and some of the diplomats. Yeah. Um, whenever like they were first gathering the Senate together for the first Senate meeting, 
Um, and it just kind of just didn't work. Like, okay, they were establishing the fact that, like, okay, they, the, it's the hollow net news. It's CNN for Star Wars. You know, like, they're getting the first exclusive of the new Senate meeting for the first time. And it's just kind of boring and bland. You know, Tracine's fun. Yeah. But for the most part, like, the, the lady that they go for, like, Aaliyah Coco or something like that. I forget uh-huh. her actual name. It just doesn't work. Yeah. You know. And then there's this point where she's like, well, there's a bunch of Stormtrooper helmets and we, t- we painted them with beautiful colors and, <laughs> and flowers and stuff like that. That's and I was fair. like, did you bring Ewoks or yeah. what? You know? what if, yeah. <laughs> well, and that's another one, actually. Ooh. That might be my least favorite one. You don't like the BB-8 one? No. Oh, my God. QT-9. See, well, that's just, I would have figured there was kind of, well, so it's kind of a little origin story for the BB units. Yeah. You know. Well and, it, well, and actually that does, like, it opens up this question of, like, okay, is, like, Poe, like, dealing with something because right? he has a BB unit right. as opposed to, you know, like an R2 or yeah. Astromech or whatever. Yeah. He could. He could know. be. That's just interesting because, like, the, the whole idea behind that interlude was the fact that, like, this guy, he was a rebel soldier and he had lost his legs and now he has a robotic leg, but he doesn't really feel about it. And he's, like, just, he just feels bummed out. And so the doctor that he's seeing prescribes him uh, a medical droid, not so much a medical droid, but a companion droid, Yes, which is QT-9. And it, yeah, so it's QT-9, or you can have an emotional support Ewok. Which, they, yeah, the Ewoks have volunteered themselves out, and I think that's freaking adorable. <laughs> it is, but again, Ewoks are creepy. Oh, they're so creepy. <laughs> well, I think Condor kind of took them up on it, because eventually Condor and Ewoks work together yeah. in another novel later on. But um i'll agree with that that's kind of low tier like it's 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 interesting but it's not important right i mean i guess there's a way that like as i say i think if you read the important message from it it's actually very interesting yeah you know in the birth of that kind of breed of droid and uh you know and and again like i think it does pose this interesting question Mm -hmm. about poe specifically basically um but like we also just see like on resistance like uh, Kaz had like Kaz has BB-8 for a while, just because I think they wanted like to, some to, yeah, character. get somebody in there. It's yeah, like, look everybody. But then eventually, that like BB-8 is replaced by CB-23, which is a female gendered. Uh, yeah, <laughs> she's <don't>... pink. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you got you got to put it out there. What was I gonna say? Um, when it comes to like favorite ones, though, it's kind of a toss up. Um, cause I'm tossed up between either the Lando Calrissian interlude, of course, um, or the three part interlude of Cab Vanth. Yes. Mainly because it, it involves Malakili. Malakili. I know it's like such a character I didn't want to, I didn't know I wanted to learn so much about, Yeah, you know, so, uh, and like, I feel like the personification of Malakili is pretty awesome actually well really because what do you think about when you think of Malakili you just think of him crying yeah (laughs) and that's exactly how they put him in there they're just like go ahead put me out of my misery I have no purpose anymore you know my uh rancor Patissa is dead yeah and it's like oh you're a beast master it's like well you can help us out and he's like what and it's like yeah man you got purpose come on with us and it's like that's just so heartwarming yeah you know (laughs) And and then also just like 
Like, yes, they have a Rancor that they want him to train, but it's also about the hut. Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah. Um, And he, and like, they're like, well, you know, this is no more than a beast, like, referring to the hut. Yeah, and then, like, he was like, the hut's name. He calls him Baby Borgo. Yeah. (laughs) Or Borgo or something like that. But he's like, it's, um, it's a hutling. And even Malakili at one point is like, you know, Huts are sentient creatures. Yeah, they can't I'm, be trained. Yeah, I'm not going to train this creature. I will help to raise it. I will, you know, make it feel good. Yeah, yeah. but I am not here to train this hut to be some sort of subservient Ugh. beast of burden or whatever. Yeah, but the other side of that story is the awesome character known as Cab Vanth. Yes. Who, in my <laughs> original thinking, I thought was going to be the Mandalorian. Yes. And the reason, yeah. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because, uh, the first interlude in the first book that involves this character, he is in a sand crawler with a member from, uh, was it like the red key Mm. group or whatever, which is like another, like, uh, yeah, it's a crime syndicate posing as a mining company. Yes. Like where have we heard that before? Right. (laughs) Literally everywhere. (laughs) And so in like, he's like, he goes into the secret back room and then like, he finds a box full of Mandalorian armor that looks kind of familiar. And it's like, oh yeah, because they fished it out of the belly of a Sarlacc. Right. (laughs) And which they even add more to that later on when they introduce Malakili because Malakili was like, I'm going to go and train that Sarlacc that uh, Jabba loved. And apparently the Sarlacc gorged on all the exploded like barge Uh and they, and like the jaw was like slid open its stomach and just, like got through and pulled out all the junk and everything and Mm. found the armor and it's like well all right i guess it's official now yeah like it's so it's sad but it's also kind of cool to think that the armor lives on yes you know even though it's not boba fett (laughs) i mean if anything to me it's the armor that i care about because it's a good look yeah yeah he looks great yes (laughs) like i mean i don't want to like detour this too extensively or whatever but there's just like like green is my favorite color personally Mm -hmm. and like i literally couldn't care less about the character under the armor (laughs) but it's just like just to know that like that set of that armor still exists is good enough for me hell yeah well hold on so for you what's your favorite interlude do you have kind of an in-between like i did (laughs) yeah i mean i think among the ones that i like I mean, seriously, one of my favorite ones is the one set on Naboo. Jar Jar. Jar Jar. Jar Jar lives. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, explain a little bit, because I agree with you. It, that it, it, You wouldn't expect that to be as good as it is. Yeah. And, I mean, basically, uh, so we find out that Jar Jar has, you know, he is, like, shunned by the Naboo, mm-hmm. and he has been once again exiled from banished yeah from otaganga and forgotten misa been banished (laughs) my forgotten (laughs) uh you know and like basically because you know he was a an instrumental figure in the rise of the empire yes and you know the the, and i can imagine that naboo has suffered extensively like in terms of public opinion just because like palpatine is from from the yeah so he has all kind of stakes in that in right. the planet itself. And, like, all of the nefarious dealings that, like, literally came from Naboo that led to his ascent, like, between Amidala voting no confidence. And just uh, going from there. And yeah. first, uh, you know, the... And then Jar Jar granting the immediate... Emergency er, powers. To, immediately er, emergency powers. From Delo Felagets. Delo Felagets. <laughs> um, 
you know, it's, and like, I feel like obviously that, you know, Jar Jar probably deserves like his own chapter in like the history of the empire. He really does. Uh, I mean, we he I, should have like a, a bust in like the hall of uh, Jedi. Or something. Yeah, well, hall, hall of like the, uh, well, what's it called at Disney? It's like the hall. No, nah, never mind. The it's just like the hall of presidents. But. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's important to put out there though, that the perspective of this story is told from a little boy. Yes. Um, so one of the things they've been doing is like, you Maypo. know, they, Ma- is it Maypo? That we said? Well, yeah, but there's also another one that's like Mebo or something. Yeah. They all kind of, like the names are too close. <laughs> yeah. But so, they, so, uh, Naboo has been instrumental in like, uh, trying to house a bunch of orphans from the war, uh-huh. uh, which let's just say Maypo, you know, mm-hmm. Maypo is this character and like, he just feels like he's not going to be picked. He's not, he's not going to get a foster home or anything like that because he has this like really hide- hideous scar on his face. He's yes. self-conscious about it, uh-huh. but there's this Gungan that comes around and makes all the kids laugh. And like someone, like one of the people who's in charge of him is like, you should go talk to him, you know, cause you know, maybe you guys have something in common. And then they both talk to each other and they're both like, yeah, no one really wants us around. Like maybe we can hang out. Maybe we can be friends. And that's kind of how it ends. It's yeah. like, it's so sad to see that's how far he's yeah. fallen. I mean, and he's literally, like literally Jar Jar is referred to as the clown, the clown. Right. And like, he's just <laughs> performing for everybody, but it's yeah. like, God, man. But now, yes, but he takes Mapo under his wing and says, I'll teach you to be a clown. Yeah, we'll be a clowns together. Have a bombad time. <laughs> and he's like, and then I remember Mapo was like, oh, okay. And he's like, bombad being good. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, I mean, there is, like, there's actually, like, this pretty, you know, emotionally motive, just feeling of, like, you kind of feel for Jar Jar. Yeah. Even though he's probably a Sith Lord. And... <laughs> Obviously, you feel for Mapo, and like you just you feel happy that they found each other, and yeah, you kind of root for this story to succeed. Well, let's finish out with this because th- we could talk all day about interludes. There's so many different ones to talk yeah. about. Um, the last question I had on the list was basically like, what do you think, uh, you know, will be important to remember from these books when it comes to going to the rise of Skywalker? And I think. Most of it, if I'm being honest, comes from the last book. Right. Um, I mean, certainly that book does the heavy lifting of transitioning the Empire into the First Order. Right. And I mean, it's literally, I think, the last words of the book. Yeah. That will be our First Order. It's like the epilogue, and it's like, that will be our First Order. I won't give any more than that. Yeah. But it's interesting to see how it all goes. Yeah. Um, So obviously, uh, you know, we've said as much, the the Battle of Jakku is the culmination of all three stories. Right. Um, And I mean, the the battle itself lasted for weeks, if not months, if not a year. Yeah. Like, it lasted a hell of a long time. Uh, And whatever, you know, Imperials just didn't stick around, they flittered off to the Unknown Regions. Right. uh, Which... This is another part in the book that they brought up, which I was excited about, was they, they that was the first time that they canonized Thrawn. Yes. That made me lose my poop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I remember listening to that and just being like, what? I dropped yeah. whatever I had well, in my hand and I yeah, had to so reverse it. So for whatever it. it's worth, um, like the, so the first book came out, you know, before uh, Force Awakens, mm-hmm. but then the other two books did both come out post force awakens yes and like so he probably would have been already reintroduced in his titular novel That's he might cute. have even appeared well and may, well actually maybe not that because i know that also came out in 2017 which yeah. is when empire's end came out yeah but he might have already ap- appeared on rebels yeah it might have been his first 
outing yeah. in New Canaan. So, okay. All right. I'll agree with that. But so it, it's probably not the very first, but it is a nice acknowledgement that like, like he was, he was instrumental basically yeah. in getting the remnants of the empire to the unknown regions. Like without him, they wouldn't have made a map or anything like that to get him out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's cool. Yeah. Cause that's kind of like the, you know, the secret history of the first order is that they just escaped to the unknown regions and, and grew strong. Yeah, exactly. And that's where they discovered Snoke as well. And apparently, yeah, that's well, a story for another time. I know well, sometime soon, apparently, you know, we'll get there, but, <laughs> um, so that's a big deal for it. Um, one of the ways I, I wanted to go about it is, and this is actually something we didn't even bring up there. I guess we can bring it up because he's a big character in the second and third book. But, like, the real main villain of the books? Gallius Rax. Gallius Rax. Uh, Fleet Admiral Gallius Rax, I guess you could say. Um, I remember at the end of Aftermath, they were like, you know, the Fleet Admiral's dead. Like, there's no one in charge of the Ravager. And then, like, someone's like, oh, wait, no, he's he's still around. And you're like, really? I thought he was dead. And no one ever says his name. Uh-huh. And in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, oh, that's going to be Thrawn. Like, it's going to be the biggest reveal. And, like, Thrawn's going to come back, and it's going to be total Thrawn trilogy get it in there, you know, do all the, do all the nasty stuff. No, it's Galley. Yeah. Gallius Rex, or Gallius Rax. Um, and it's interesting to see where this character kind of comes from. Cause they, they do go into his origin a little bit. And I honestly thought he was pretty good. I thought he was, he kind of has a mixture of, uh, finesse and menace in the way that like Tarkin and Palpatine had, like mm-hmm. it, it's a good combination of the yeah. two. So, I mean, what, uh, it's hard to even bring up. I don't even know how to bring this up. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it, it just, I just feel bad that I didn't bring him up in the first place. But what I was going to get at originally was that Galley has like inner monologue at one point. And he's talking about when the Palp- when Palpatine was talking to him about the unknown regions. He was convinced uh, Palpatine was convinced that the unknown regions are the birthplace of the dark side. Like the origin of the dark side is somewhere out there in the unknown regions in the unknown galaxies. And so that is one of the reasons he was obsessed with mapping it out. Mm-hmm. So seeing all the stuff we've already seen for the rise of Skywalker, especially like the ice planet and all that kind of stuff, like maybe he found it. Well, I certainly, you know, I mean, I, there's this weird like spatial issue in terms of like, how the Star Wars galaxy is often referred to. Like you have like the, you know, like the core worlds, the mm-hmm. mid rim, the outer rim, and then the unknown regions. Like, and there's like a little band of wild space in between, whatever. Basically. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but basically, you know, I, I think that certainly could be a setup for why the resistance would be on Batu. Mm-hmm. I think there's certainly reason to believe that the First Order, or at least certain people within the First Order, would have an interest in the Unknown Regions. Yeah, because it's just it's just meant to be. Yeah, because we know like we know that Batu as a planet is on is way. It's like basically the last stop before the Unknown Regions. Yeah, everything. it's the weird midpoint. Yeah. So and so, I just think that's I think that certainly sets up something pretty interesting uh, that you know hopefully we'll get a little bit of a payoff. Um, I mean, I think it'd be really interesting if we are in this situation where, uh, you know, they have to navigate the unknown regions, but the resistance doesn't really know how to un- navigate the unknown regions. So they get a navigator? Well, potentially. A certain, a certain kind of yeah. navigator? <laughs> yeah. No, that we'll be see. Good. But what if, ooh, man, we could talk about this after the episode, but still. Uh, 
That, I, I agree with that. Um, and honestly, I feel like it's just, there's a lot of little details here and there you can kind of spring up and be like, okay, this, this character, that character, you know, leaning into everything, going into it. Like, I don't know. The the most important thing that these books do is just set up the origin of the First Order in general. But at the same time, like once this was all said and done in 2017, I don't think anyone could really expect where it's going to be now. Right, you know? for so, sure, yeah. And, and like, I, you know, I'm not... I think there's some validity there. I mean, I, th- I do believe that, you know, the powers that be had to look at other sources, other materials to potentially try to create this cohesive narrative for Rise of Skywalker just with yeah. with all of like the real and you know unintended things that have happened uh you know in in the production basically yeah no one expect but, yeah it it's just unexpected stuff right um but you know in light and so in light of that like i can see there being a little bit of a connection there but i think it'll be we're just going to have to wait to see if it actually pays out well, here's open. Um, and in a way, I feel like it was it was good to kind of go over these books again and uh, really get ourselves prepared for the movie. Mm. And honestly, this is it's great to do this, especially after doing all the movie reviews we've been doing, because it is fun to see where the galaxy is going to be between episode six and episode seven. Yeah. Um, so, you know, hopefully you guys liked what we had. One more thought, and then we'll call it quits, huh? Okay. Uh, if you had to rank the books, three to uh, three to one. Um, three to one, I would go uh, first book last, mm-hmm. Empire's End in the middle, Life Debt first. Ooh. See, I think I would reverse it. I think I liked Empire's End a little bit more. But maybe okay. me, I mean, we've, we've talked about this before. Yeah. You're a middle guy. I'm an end guy. It's, so. Well, I think that's exactly <laughs> it. Uh, you know. I just feel like, I mean, I... I loved seeing like the battle of Jakku and, yeah. and just the whole process that led to it and, and you know, the, the consequences of that battle. Yeah. But there was just something really cool about like, uh, and like, I feel like I often complain about, well, no, you don't need Skywalkers. You don't need solos. Yes. But there was something that was really cool about having like Han and Leia be central figures in life debt. Yeah. And, and like Leia is certainly very involved in empire's end, but and, and, like, Han's in it, but... Yeah, but not as much. But not nearly as much. It, uh, well, it's cool because, yeah, you kind of get to see them do what they want to do. And this is something that I think everyone's been waiting for, was mm-hmm. the liberation of Kashyyyk. Zook. Right. Yeah. Sorry, I had to Exactly, and that's just... I mean, that's one of those things that, like... I mean, I can remember as, you know, truly as a teenager that that was, like, a thing. Yeah. You know, out there in, <laughs> like, in social or whatever, where it was, like, you know, the... The Wookiees were enslaved. You know that, right? Like, like the whole what? planet. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. But so it's just great to see them finally get that victory. Yeah. And, and I mean, honestly, I agree with it. It it, uh, it plays into one of my other favorite interludes is the fact that they also made uh, Lumpy Cannon. Yes, they did. <laughs> he had his own freaking interlude. Yeah. Uh, but that was that was heartwarming. Yes. All right. So I think it's pretty pretty uh, surmisable. I, I I think we both really enjoyed it. Yes. Um. They, all three books had their own you know good moments and bad moments and everything like that. Plus the interludes and everything. I would recommend these books. Agreed. I would recommend the trilogy itself. Yeah. Especially like I said, if you want to kind of fit that gap of what's going on between six and seven, at least a little bit, mm-hmm. get a little bit of history behind the first order. Right. Check it out. Yes. And not to mention that some of these characters, new or old, like they're just great. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, but you know, by and large, it is it's a likable cast of characters that mm-hmm. doesn't rely that overall still doesn't rely overly much on you know it's not like there's Jedi running around all over the place. Not or, at all. Yeah, and and like I'm always drawn to those types of stories when it comes to books. Uh, it's just interesting to see you know that that there are capable people that you know beyond Luke Skywalker. <laughs> you know what? I just realized that we never actually talked about a new dawn. Yeah, we didn't. Uh, we, <laughs> well, that's just one. I was interested. Like, I did not realize. I mean, I, uh, you know, only did a new dawn way after doing the aftermath books. Yeah, um, it's one of the more recent ones that I've partaken in, and I did not realize that. Like, like I thought that Ray Sloan was in that book because she was in, in the, the aftermath, aftermath books. books. Now she started. It's the, there. Yeah, it's actually the opposite. Which I think that's cool that they're able to carry over a character like that. Yes, I agree. So. And, and that was actually one of my critiques, especially like the first time through that I read the uh, the original Aftermath book was just, there's no there's no through lines. There's no like references outside of, you know, Wedge, basically. It was, yeah. And like Akbar has like a couple lines of dialogue and that's about it. Yeah. It, um, well, it's true. Yeah. And then you, cameos from this character, that character and all this kind of stuff. But I, I don't know. I that the new dawn is one we could talk about at some other you know length of time. Yeah. But I think you're right. If you had not known about Ray Sloan from that book, it was kind of like there are moments where she like talks about events from that book too. Right. So it's like all right, you know what the hell. Yeah. But let's talk about it later. We'll save it. Uh, I hope everyone had a good time. You know. Uh, you know. Is there anything else that we didn't bring up about this book that you really liked? Uh, you know. Or do you have any kind of interest in this book? in general or all three of these books for that matter please let us know check us out on reggieshousepodcast.com while you're there please check out the games and app podcast uh they just did an episode recently uh that i thought was super hilarious about sandwiches so there you go (laughs) (laughs) i know it's probably gonna be timely when this actually comes out but i promise you it's pretty good so go back and check the catalog uh and then also um don't forget to check us out on our Facebook page, Greeter Shot First Podcast. That's right. As well as Apple Podcasts or Apple iTunes, whatever you're into. Uh, did I say iTunes or iTunes? Well, I just appreciate that you said whatever you're into. Yeah, whatever you're into, whatever you still call it. I think I still have it as iTunes. I'm just saying I'm old school, man. But yeah, <laughs> check us out, man. Leave a like and review and share and subscribe. Get those comments going, man. We want to hear some uh, feedback. Yeah, absolutely. You know? you know, we've we've announced our plans. You know, gonna gonna be taking a little break, but like that is the perfect time. That like if you have thoughts, suggestions, uh, recommendations, whatever you want, whatever you know, to do the us, next time. Yeah, let us know. This is the time to get that in so that we can try to you know, improve our craft in, in the time that we're off and, uh, you know, hopefully make a show that you'll enjoy even more. That's what I'm hoping because every time I do this, I have a great time. Did you have a good time? Boring conversation anyway. I bet it was.